0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. We are in the book of Philippians once again this morning. Philippians chapter 1. We're in the section that starts with verse 3 and goes down through verse 11 the remembrance the thanksgiving and remembrance remember the the primary prayer practices are thanksgiving and remembrance if you don't even get around to asking for anything that's fine <laughs> because uh, petitions and intercessions are not primary prayer practices they are secondary the the fellowship that we have with the father and the son happens through prayer and the the thank uh, the thanksgiving and the remembrance is the Beautiful activity that we have. In fact, you'll notice the blessings of what God provides. Today's a day that we're thinking about. Uh, funerals and the the memorial service for Simon that's going to happen this afternoon. And uh, if you think about it, if you have a loved one that's that's in glory, think about the blessings we have with Thanksgiving and remembrance and uh, the treasure that we have. You know, Mom's been in heaven since 2012, but the the remembrance continues, and that that fragrance of of memory is a part of our eternal blessings that God provides for us here uh, in time so in philippians 1 it says i thank my god and all my remembrance of you that's verse three always offering prayer with joy and you can think of joy as an ingredient that's added in like a wine offering uh, when when the wine was added to the uh, grain offering or the meal offering or the the meat offering of, of some sort so think about the joy being added as a cup being poured uh, in, in connection with these prayers. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your fellowship. And this is the quinonia participation in the gospel from day one, from the first day until now. And uh, this is where we left off on Wednesday, we're highlighting the aspect of what was that first day, what is the now, what is the, uh, the scope of, of what Paul's dealing with here in, uh, in these expressions. All right, before we do get started though, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking the Father to set aside our distractions, to humble us under the authority of His truth. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your faithfulness, thankful for your truth, rejoicing, Father, in the power of your word, and uh, looking forward to the feast you've supplied. Father, minister your truth to us this day. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, if you are following in the outline, we are reaching main point five, and uh, we'll have more to say. Uh, keep in mind, this is a uh, this is a preview. Um, we're going to get much more in the terms of prayer in chapter four. Much is, more is going to be developed in chapter four, specifically Philippians four six. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, by su- by th- supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. We've got a fourfold dimensional uh, application of prayer there in Philippians four six. But here. We do have a few clues and there's little glimpses of things because we have both a verb and a noun. We have the noun and we have the activity. Always offering prayer. And that's an activity. That is an activity that we do in our priesthood. We offer the prayer. We are giving the prayer to the Lord and we are offering it up in our priesthood, that sweet smelling savor before the throne of grace. We are offering that prayer. That's the verbal activity you and I engage in. And in accomplishing that verbal activity, we are then consequentially generating a thing, a noun, a, a, a an entity, uh, something called a prayer. All right, and so you can uh, have as many prayers as you'd like because there's no there's no law that keeps you from praying more. <laughs> and so the more you pray, the more that you are generating these prayers. And these prayers, these entities, these things—all right—think of them conceptually, and uh, and uh, well, well, we're going to expand more upon it in chapter four. But think of them as tangible things, because Revelation describes them as incense that they are added to uh, the 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 brazen uh, or the, the braziers of incense that are poured out before the throne of grace. And so we'll uh, we'll be dealing with that when we get that far. I just want to be chewing on these ideas that we. We don't create because we're not creators, but we do generate. It's a consequential generation. These things are generated as a consequence of our activity. And so our activity generates these things called prayers, all right? And then this prayer doesn't end when your, your mouth stops moving, <laughs> okay, or when your brain stops thinking, you know, words can end right? So, they, I mean, there's only a certain time. I mean, we've got good acoustics and the, the vibration of my vocal cords and the words when, they, when they're spoken and they go out, they're gone, okay? Don't think of prayer the same way. Don't think of prayer the same way because uh, prayer, you know, think about how long does it reverberate? Well, it's in heaven, I believe, forever it's in heaven filling these bowls all right and and prayers of the saints anyway we'll talk about that so stay tuned now in the context of prayer though we get to another ingredient that gets added now and this is the joy component and if you want to think of it as a component you can think of it as an ingredient you can think of it as a as a uh, uh, an additional sacrifice the wine offering on top of the thanksgiving offering uh that Feel free. But the joy component of Paul's prayers were in view of or based upon epite. It's epi plus the dative. All right? So it may not always be te. It may be, uh, that's the feminine uh, uh, dative. It could be masculine, it could be neuter. But epi plus the dative. Speaking of upon, based upon. And the basis for this joy. What sparks this joy? What motivates this joy? What is the joy grounded in? The joy is grounded in Paul's appreciation for their participation. It says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And uh, we're going to use the class today to try to identify what day one is all about, because day one is special. Day one had sentimental value in Paul's thinking. And uh, from that very day, he'll never forget it, from that very day until now. And uh, there were some gaps in between. There was a period when they could not support financially, but they always supported prayerfully. And that's uh, another emphasis we want to be able to make in uh, the connection of this study. So we're dealing with day one. Now in the subpoints under this, I'm not going to go back and redo, we d- looked at a lot of the Koinonia verses, a lot of the Koinonia verses, the Koinos verses, it's, uh, it's a useful study to understand what do we have in common, what do we share, what is our fellowship, and it's the great uh, vocabulary study connected to fellowship that you would get into in First uh, John for example or anywhere that you're studying fellowship would be employing this vocabulary. And that's what it is, I know it's translated participation, I realize if you're reading a New American in your Bible it says in view of your participation in the gospel but the term there is fellowship it's their koinonia in the gospel from day 1 until now and so we're going to talk about how do you share in these things what are the variety of ways that fellowship can be expressed <laughs> wow we realize fellowship can be expressed in a lot of different ways it can be expressed verbally it can be expressed prayerfully it can be expressed financially it can be expressed with hands on service you know, a couple of guys pounding nails and sweating in the hot sun for you know three or four hours. You know, it's amazing the kind of fellowship that happens in those venues when it's two believers that are engaged in that activity for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so they come together on a Saturday work day or they come together on some kind of a project and you might think, well, it's just an earthly thing. They're climbing ladders and painting or they're pounding nails or they're cutting the grass or whatever they're doing. And, and the fellowship that is generated Again, it's an activity that generates a thing. A substance then comes into existence that did not come into existence before. And that's the fellowship between the saints. All right. So we'll uh, kind of explore some of those items as well. How many ways can we fellowship? I've, I've listed three or four of them already and, and there's more. I mean it's only limited by imagination when it comes right down to it. We can creatively discover or develop or or engage in fellowship activities in a lot of different ways that's why i think the variety of gifts the variety of ministries and the variety of effects is so uh ubiquitous i mean it could be anything that our imagination causes to it could be a couple of guys sitting around playing guitar kind of strumming some some melodies and and tweaking some lyrics and kind of changing this and changing that and the, the finished product ends up being the finished product but what was the what was the work product all along the way that was fellowship between two believers all right that were working on those working on those items all right so in exploring, what did Paul mean here then in their participation? Exactly what was their fellowship from day one until now? And of all the different kinds, I think primarily it was financial in this context, and we'll explain that. But I'm going to go beyond the financial to show how you can think of this in deeper ways. And maybe Paul himself was thinking of this in deeper ways or alternative ways. So I ask the question in point B, sub-point so B, What was their first day of gospel fellowship participation? What was that first day? All right. Was it the day he was thrown in jail or the day he got released out of jail? (laughs) Okay. Remember the Philippian jailer? We're going to go back to Acts 16 and we're going to see some of the details on this. But neither uh, the day he was thrown in jail or the day he was released from jail, technically or strictly speaking, neither of those was day one. Not Because he wasn't thrown into jail in day one. There was a delay. It wasn't they got off the boat and uh, first day in Philippi they were thrown in jail. Didn't happen like that. So what was day one? Well let's start with the context here. I think the context related to chapter 2 and related to chapter 4 I think the context shows us uh, a, a financial emphasis and so we'll discuss that. In the matter of giving and receiving day one was when they sent a gift to Thessalonica. All right? So we're going to answer, I'm going to answer my own rhetorical question, but I'm going to do so in a lot of different ways. Starting with money. In the matter of giving and receiving, it was when they sent a gift to Thessalonica. And so I'm answering my own question from chapter one with the answer, I believe, that we, that we get to in chapter four. So he says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day, even until now, up till now, the present now. And that seems to be the emphasis. So when we go over to chapter four, join me there, and we'll take a look at this, and because this is, this is what he's stressing. And this is why I think that, that he has the camaraderie that he has with the saints in Philippi. When you go through the battles together, you have that. It builds that sense of, of fellowship, that sense of esprit de corps, that sense of, of, uh, of a fellowship between saints when you go through those things together. So uh, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and also verse 10. Let me just pick it up in that order. How about that? We'll start with verse 10. Um, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last... Now at last. And we have a time emphasis there that, that agrees with chapter 1 when it says, until now, all right? Now at last. You have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And so we learn that there's differences between the, the financial support, which came and went. They had thin seasons. They weren't able to, to uh, spend the money, and they weren't able to send Paul any offerings. But now at last, they were able to revive it. Now at last, they have the opportunity. And, uh, and this, is, this is significant. Whatever that drought was, we don't know the reasons. is not important, okay? It's, it doesn't even matter. Whatever, for whatever reason, budget got tight at Philippi Bible Church. Uh, they had a season when they weren't sending uh, missionary support to the Apostle Paul. Until now at last. Now at last, they heard that he was in jail, I believe in Ephesus, they heard that he was in jail, and they dispatched Epaphroditus with a gift to help support Paul during the time of his imprisonment. So now at last, you revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And this is what we learn in 2 Corinthians, that's why Philippians and 2 Corinthians are so linked, that uh, that we're accountable according to what we have, not according to what we don't have, within the capacity we give and beyond our capacity we give when God provides it. We understand how that works. Verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret, both of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And so this is the financial context for this uh, passage here in chapter four. And it stresses what they did on day one and what they have been able to revive now, uh, the until now that we're looking at in, in chapter one. All right. Then he says, nevertheless, you have, uh, I skipped over verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is learning to be content in every circumstance. That's the I can do all things, all right? I can be content in every circumstance. Nevertheless, you have done well to koinoneo, share, fellowship with me in my affliction." And so here we have another connection between chapter 1 and chapter 4. We have the fellowship that's mentioned here. It was, the, it was what sparked his joy in his thanksgiving prayer was, was their fellowship participation in the gospel. Here he's thanking them for the fellowship participation in his affliction. In his affliction. And they specifically did so not by traveling to, to Ephesus and not by joining him in the prison cell. They specifically did so by dispatching Epaphroditus with cash, all right, with currency, the the financial support for his needs. All right, so this is the until now. This is the the present time that Paul in jail is writing his thank you letter for the gifts, the financial gifts that Philippi sent. Verse 15, you yourselves also know, Philippians, See, you yourselves, it's reflective and it's, it's emphatic, that he doesn't need to tell them this. They already know this. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, that's why we connect this with chapter 1. The, 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 the language ties it together. The term first, like we had in chapter 1, the participation in the gospel we had in chapter 1. Here is the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me, there's Quintanao, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone, but you alone. And that's the emphasis, all right? Even in Thessalonica, even, I mean they were grace-oriented. All the Macedonian churches, are you kidding me? Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, those noble-minded Bereans, all the Macedonian churches were were very gracious. They were all involved in that abundant offering to Jerusalem. They were all involved as as an illustration. Paul could point to the Macedonian churches when he was discussing such things with Corinth. <laughs> okay, Corinth had to learn from the Macedonian churches. But even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs, and we've discussed this—the nature there. They had to put up money to to guarantee Paul wasn't going to come back to town. That uh, they they were trying to find Paul and arrest him. They dragged uh, Jason in there, and Jason was the host for the for the church, and and Jason had to put up money as a, as a, a bribe. Okay, I think of it as a fee. You know, government agencies like adding fees. Um, but basically, it was anti-bail. I you know, I, have you ever posted? I don't want no. If you posted bail, that's fine. Um, But when you post bail, that is a promise to a judge that you're going to come back, right? Saying, you don't have to keep me in jail. I'm coming back. I'll be here for trial. That's what bail is. It's a promise to come back. The money Jason had to deposit was anti-bail. It was a promise to go away and not come back, (laughs) all right? And uh, whatever time, I mean, eventually, you know, I don't know what it was, a year, two years. I mean, eventually there must be a time that they return that security deposit or not. All right. Maybe they kept it. Who knows? But the the fact is, Jason paid a price for hosting Paul in his home. And that price that he paid, I imagine he was happy to pay it, but um, it it was what it was. And what it means is if your money is tied up in, in government stuff, then you've got less money for evangelism and missions and paying your pastor and, and things of that nature. So even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself. And when we go past this section, we see that, that the, the realm of testing, financial testing is what it is, but it becomes a venue whereby greater principles can then be illustrated. They can then be taught. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And uh, that's that's the beauty of it right there. Because it is more blessed to give than to receive. When you are supporting the gospel of the Word of God, you are profiting. It is all to your profit to support the gospel. You know, human beings don't understand that. (laughs) Earthly wisdom says that's not right. Earthly wisdom says... I gave you money, I now have less. You profited, I, don't, I didn't profit. It was your profit, it's my loss because I gave you money. That's how the world would look at it. That's how the unregenerate mind would look at it. That's how humans would look at it. That's not how God looks at it. The profit is yours for giving. That's an eternal profit in the, in the bank of heaven, laying up treasure in heaven. For I have received everything in full and have an abundance I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. And this, the tenderness here between Paul and Epaphroditus, between Epaphroditus and the Philippian saints, when they heard that Epaphroditus was sick, they, they were troubled over that. But So Epaphroditus carried the, uh, the funds, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. See, that's the priestly function of Giving. When you're back there in the back of the room on your way at the door and you operate in your priesthood at the grace box, that's what you're doing. It is a sweet smelling savor. I recommend you uh, <clears throat> say a prayer. I recommend you offer it up with thanksgiving and remembrance and that you actively participate in your priesthood on that basis. And, and you don't have to spill any blood. <laughs> you don't have to butcher a goat all right, or anything. Between you and the Lord, this is our priesthood, and it is a blessing. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. All right. Well, so that's the, that's the financial answer. But I think there's more than that. And I want to start to expand some additional things because the emphasis Paul has there from day one, even until now, I think stresses a progression And I think it stresses more than just the money, more than just, hey, you sent a gift, you sent a gift more than once, you sent a few gifts, you sent several gifts, then you stopped for a while, now at last you've sent another gift. It's more than that because they never did stop fellowshipping. They just lacked the opportunity for the fellowshipping to have a financial component. They continue to fellowship in prayer. They continue to fellowship in love. They continue to fellowship in other ways. And uh, I think prayer is a huge part of that, and that's what we want to talk about here this morning. But the emphasis, again, I stress this, on day one, right? If you were here Wednesday, I mentioned day one. Um, You know, think about what is special to you. Think about the day you accepted Christ, if you can remember that far back. All right? Think about in some cases you were a young child, and so the memory's a little fuzzy, but um, in other cases you were uh, an adult, and you know exactly when and where and who and why and how and all the rest of that, okay? I remember the first time I ever visited Austin Bible Church, and it was a Wednesday night, and Pastor Ralph Ron was teaching Philippians. <laughs> so I, I like this book. It's a great book, all right? And so you don't forget those kind of things. You don't forget, you know, the details. I shared this Wednesday, so it's rep- repetitive, but um, I, had, I, had, I was wearing sunglasses, and I felt like a moron. But I didn't want to drive all the way, back. I didn't have time to drive all the way back to Colleen, where my other glasses were. I didn't, who had time for that? And if I did that, I was going to miss church. I didn't want to miss church. It was my first, and, and you never get a second chance to make a first impression. I, I really wanted to, to meet Pastor Ralph Braun. I had heard so much about him. And I'd spoken to him on the phone the night, the night before, and I said, I'm going to be there tomorrow night. So by golly, I better be there tomorrow night. I told him I'd be there tomorrow night. That means I'm going to be there in sunglasses. Mm, didn't want to be there in sunglasses. Oh, well. All right. Anyway, it's the first night I met Sharon, okay? I'm never going to forget that, see? All right, she's trying to figure out who the moron was in sunglasses sitting on the front row at 7 o'clock at night when the sun had gone down already. All right. so That's the matter of giving and receiving. But let's, let's go past that a little bit. How about the matter of hands-on service? The matter of hands-on service. We've already discussed that hands-on service can be a m- powerful venue for fellowship. And so were there saints involved in hands-on service? Yes, there were. And in fact, uh, these ladies that often get um, preached on as uh, problems, okay, and they, they did have a problem, I'm not going to minimize that, Yodi and Siniki had a problem, and they had to, that problem had to be addressed. And Paul does address it here again in chapter 4, earlier in the first part of the chapter here. He addresses the issue that they had, and it had to stop, okay? But the reason why it had to stop, or some of the details that are given as background for them, I, I think it gets overlooked, it gets ignored. And, and the description is, is useful for us. I think it shows the fellowship. Of hands on service. So, in the matter of hands on service, it was when Yodia, Siddiqui, and Clement shared Paul's gospel struggle. And so, look at the beginning of chapter 4 here. Verse 1 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord my beloved. And that probably should be verse 22 of chapter 3, really. But let's move on, okay? I'm not in charge of versification. (laughs) That was done centuries ago. All right, verse two. I urge Yodia and I urge Syneche. These are two female names, two women names, whoever they were. We don't know elsewhere in the Bible. This is what we know about Yodia and Syneche. We urge Yodia and Syneche to live in harmony in the Lord. Now what's harmony? Harmony is fellowship, Right? What fellowship hath light with darkness? What harmony hath Christ with Belial? What in common has a believer with an unbeliever? What, you know, we got all those terms uh, when we're we're talking about not being unequally yoked, including harmony. And so uh, live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion. Who is that? I ask also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the gospel. Now, shared is quinineo. Again, we got verbal connections with chapter one, where Paul has he adds joy to his prayers in view of your quinineo participation, fellowship in the gospel from day one. And I'm trying to point out to you, we got the same vocabulary here, we got the same emphasis here. We have harmony, we have sharing, we have gospel. But specifically, we have struggle in the gospel. This is hands-on labor. This is actually uh, something more than just than, than, than the financial support that the church at large had done. These are two sisters and a brother, Clement's boy's name, Yodi and Sinek, your girl's names, all right? We have two sisters and a brother who shared in the struggle who fought the good fight, who ran with endurance the race set before them, who agonized. We've done the doctrine of agonology, right? The doctrine of the struggle. This is hands-on service. And so we see it. Um, Together with Clement also, and there's more than those three, but these are the three that are named, the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So if you think about it, think about different remembrances and different thanksgiving in your prayers. Think about different hands-on works. Think about, and I, and I, I think back to different things like um, when, you remember when we had a, a door of ministry with child evangelism? Remember when we had a door of ministry with an elementary school and then a second elementary school and a third elementary school? Now, those doors closed and that season is over, but some of you here were a part of that. All right, and if you were a part of that, that is still a part of your Thanksgiving and your remembrance—that there was ministry, there was hands-on work, there was fellowship, there was camaraderie, there was the the the, the struggle of the gospel took place. All right, I uh, think about my trip to Ukraine and previous trips to Ukraine, and part of the blessing is not only a new crop of students, but it's the reunions with all the previous crops of students a chance to see Pastor Victor, to see Urban Bible Church, a a chance to see other pastors that weren't pastors when I first met him because they were students, but they're pastors now. In some cases, they've been pastors for a long time. Pastor Victor, I met on my first trip ever in 2005. And uh, man, pray for him. It's exciting um, to think of what the Lord is doing there in, in Urban, northwest of Kiev. Okay? Think about that. Anyway, I'm going to get, this this is what happens. Paul got overwhelmed with joy over the fellowship, the remembrance for the the, the fellow workers, okay? Pastor Victor was in the Soviet Army. (laughs) I was in the American Army. I was in West Germany. He was in East Germany. Okay, we're talking back in the 80s when there was an East Germany. uh, There was a Cold War. There was a Soviet Union. All that's gone now. But guess what? Victor gets married. He's got two sons, two daughters. <laughs> He's a pastor. We've got a lot in common, okay? And and every chance I get to go over there, it's, it's, a, it's another chance to, to fellowship with Pastor Victor and, and Luda and the girls and the boys. And and it, it's 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 fun. We played Pictionary last time, right? Sanctified Pictionary. <laughs> All right. Had some fun with that too. Um So here's Yodia and Syneche, and I realize most of the preaching centers on the fact that these women can't get along, right? And then it's tempting, and pastors find easy illustrations. Uh, Believe it or not, you can uh, imagine a circumstance where two women can't get along, okay? Possibly you've experienced that, or you've read a book or seen a movie, or maybe just in life, Okay? <laughs> women sometimes and, and not to be sexist about it men sometimes struggle to get along also all right but this passage deals with two women who can't get along and then you know preachers start preaching and illustrating and telling stories and i think they miss the point yes the imperative is knock it off <laughs> okay quit it live in harmony Because you understand what you're throwing away. Do you remember what that struggle was about? Remember that that work? All right. And so when it says rejoice in the Lord always, again, I will say rejoice. That's an order to those women that got to quit it. They got to start having the fellowship they used to have. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Again, that's to those women if you can't get along, what are you doing? Jesus is right here. The Lord is near. All right. So in the matter of hands-on service, it was when Yodia, and Clement shared Paul's gospel struggle. We have to then ask specifically then, when? Does Luke write about this or is this something else Luke didn't write about? Uh, is this a Lucan omission? Should we have added this to our list of Paul's admissions and Luke's omissions? Specifically, when was this? Was it the jailer's household? Was it with the jailer's household? Was Clement the jailer? How did this work? We don't know. Was it with the other prisoners? Who were uh, There were other prisoners there. Let's go to Acts 16. Remind ourselves of this. Acts 16. Verses 16 through 34. Was it with other prisoners? Was it with the demoniac girl? Was Iodia the demoniac girl? Was Synechi the demon... I mean, was was either one of these girls the the demoniac girl? We don't know. When were these people, these ladies and Clement, when were they hands-on with Paul in the ministry? Well, um, you'll notice... uh, if day 1 is before he departed you know, financially day 1 they started to support him when they left for Thessalonica and and that from from the first preaching of the gospel after we departed you get you sent money more than once um but be, there were there were days prior to that so was it the day he was released from jail the day he was thrown in jail how many days went by in Philippi anyway well if you start reading in verse 16 which wasn't even the first day because there was stuff before that but um it, it happens, see they come to Philippi, I'm, I'm taking this in reverse order, I'm trying to teach this like the movie Memento where we're giving the last scene first and then we're backing up and doing earlier scenes, but um, I probably won't do too well, um, but they come to Philippi in verse 11, okay, verse 12, the port city of Neapolis and Philippi in verse 12, so there's other stuff prior to this, but start with verse 16. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. So here's this demoniac girl. And Paul's going to cast out the demon. When the demon's gone, she can't fortune-tell anymore. Okay, And if you think it's phony, it's not phony. She's making big bucks. And through her, her masters are making big bucks. Demons are real. Demons can do stuff, all right? And uh, there you go. So following after Paul and us, this is part of the we section where Luke is involved. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bondservants of the Most High God. So here's a slave girl shouting at other slaves saying they're slaves of Jesus. They're slaves of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. How long is that? (laughs) Okay. We don't know how many is many. It can't be one or two. I wouldn't call one or two many, or even four or five. I'd say four or five would be a few. To me, it has to be at least a week or a couple of weeks. Hard to say. But for many days. And so we realize that there's a span here in which a lot of things Luke omits. A lot of, Luke doesn't give us a ton of detail. What else was happening during that span of days? Could Iodia, Syneche, and Clement been involved in some hands-on ministry in the gospel? Could have been. All right. For many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed. <laughs> you know, what motivates what motivates? I mean, you, you would like to have joy be a great motivation, right? Joy, he was adding joy to his Thanksgiving prayers that motivated joy is what motivated his Thanksgiving prayers on behalf of the Philippians. Joy was not what motivated this miracle. It was annoyance. Annoyance motivated the miracle. He finally just had it up to here. He said, that's it. I'm sick of hearing this. All right. And that's extraordinary to me. I don't believe, I, as I consider, I don't think this is rewardable. I think Paul did this with the wrong motivation. So he, the miracle is accomplished. The girl is rescued from the demon. But because his attitude was wrong, it's not gold, silver, precious stones. Paul's going to see this event at the judgment seat of Christ as wood, hay, and stubble. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to say, you should have done that for the right reasons. You know, why didn't you do it on day one? Why didn't you do it on day two? Why, Why was it many days listening to this girl yelling at you, this demon yelling at you, and finally you got tired of it? Finally you decided to cast out the demon? Why? You didn't care for her to get saved before that? You still probably don't care if you get saved or not. You just want her to quit yelling at you. Okay? Anyway. Uh, there, I don't know. There's different ways you can preach this, but I, I, this is curious to me. There's other reasons why miracles aren't accomplished, or there's other reasons why, you know, um, we can't always ask the why que- answer the why questions. That, man, that lame man in the temple that Peter and John healed he got up and carried his pallet. He'd been laying there in the temple for years, which means Jesus had walked past him several times. Why didn't Jesus heal him? Why was that, that lame man laying there on the pallet waiting for Peter and John to heal him after the church age began? Why didn't Jesus heal him during the, his ministry? He could have been one of the early disciples. Jesus never healed him. It was reserved for Peter and John. So, you know, we could cut Paul some slack and say he must have been told to let the demoniac keep preaching, to let the demoniac keep doing, perhaps he was under orders. And in which, by the way, it doesn't make it any better. I think it makes it worse. If he was told not to heal that girl, then when he finally had it up to here and, and cast out the demon and said, quit yelling at me, now he was doing it in blatant defiance of, of God's orders. <laughs> Ooh. All right, so we don't know. Um, so, when, um, she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrate, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. Jews. Remember, Philippi is a Roman city. It is uh, a uh, Roman colony. They are Roman citizens. And this is shortly after the time that uh, Caesar had expelled the Jews from Rome. Likely, Jews were expelled from all the Roman colonies, not just the city of Rome itself. And uh, they're throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. They are proclaiming customs. Uh, which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. That's puzzling to me too. What were they proclaiming that the Romans found so objectionable? Believing in Jesus? (laughs) Okay. All right. So the crowd rose up together against them. The chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them beaten with rods and struck them with many blows, threw them into prison. Now, Yodi is not mentioned here. Seneca is not mentioned here. Clement's not mentioned here where were they? They were somewhere. Because Paul mentions them, that they were fellow workers. He mentions them, that they were fellowshipping in that labor, in the struggle, the struggle of the gospel, the struggle of the gospel. Well, here's more gospel. In in, uh, about midnight, uh Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Is this where Yodi and Seneca and Clement were hands on in the struggle of the gospel? Don't know, doesn't say. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, that foundation of the prison house was shaken, the doors were opened, everyone's chains were loosened, unfastened. And when the jailer awoke, was that Clement? <laughs> Don't know. He's not named. It is jailer masculine, though. It's not a girl jailer. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Is this the agony of the gospel? But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, we are all here. He called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Is this the agony of the gospel? So they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, you and your household. Now here's multiple people. Could Yodi and Seneca be included here? They spoke the word of the Lord to them, together with all who were in his house. He took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. Immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. Imagine you get saved at two in the morning, three in the morning. You want to be baptized before the sun comes up? Okay, okay for possibly different reasons, okay? He brought them into his house, set food before them, rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. This is evidently an apartment or some kind of quarters within the jail facility, because they're not yet released from the jail until a few more verses. The chief magistrate sent their policemen saying, release those men. So would you rather be in the dungeon or would you rather be in the jailer's apartment? (laughs) All right, either way and uh, so all right well that gets us down through verse 34 in any of that again paul's making admissions here that luke does not uh, corroborate and so we have to just content ourselves with some speculation some wondering some considerations i think we have to be satisfied and content that the Holy Spirit did not provide a harmony of the epistles uh, like He did with the harmony of the Gospels. I think we can harmonize the four Gospels very well. I think Acts and the epistles don't always harmonize. And we that's why we taught that introductory series called Disharmony of the Epistles, the fact that Paul admits many things that Luke omits. And we want to be relaxed about that. It's not an issue for us, not at all. All right, so there's the matter of giving and receiving. There's the matter of... Hands on service. The struggle of the gospel with hands on service as a fellow worker. So I've now answered this question twice. The question is what was day one? What was day one? All right, we can answer it financially, we can answer it in hands on service, and maybe not have a complete answer. I think there's more. How about in the matter of hospitality? In the matter of hospitality, it was when Lydia opened her home to Paul's traveling team. And so we back up a little bit more and we find a hospitality ministry. We find giftedness and ministries and effects applied to hospitality. Verses 14 and 15. So even before the, uh, the work of the gospel, we have, uh, backing up to verse 14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabric. So, see, she's not a native. She's not a native Philippian. She's not a native. Uh, uh, I don't know if she's a citizen or not. She's from Thyatira, a seller of purple fabric. So she's uh, she's in business, and um, we don't know that she conducts the the commerce between Thyatira and Philippi. We just that's her city of origin. Um, it was known for the kind of dye that was necessary, and so it's likely that her background in Thyatira provided for her business, and now she's heading up the, uh, the endeavor in, uh, in Philippi. A Roman city would, would need purple. All right. And so uh, anyway, she's there. She's making money, but notice uh, she is a worshiper of God. Wow. Well, how'd that happen? When did she get saved? You know, if if you go to a place and you think there's no believers here, and then you meet a worshiper of God, you go, oh, wow. (laughs) Guess uh, you beat me to it. You're here already. How'd you get here? How'd you get saved? What's your background? Well, you know, more questions than answers, really. But here it is, a worshiper of God. And, by the way, I think an Old Testament believer. You know, we've got God-fearing Greeks as well as as, uh, Jews, and we have to consider when they got saved, was it before 33 A.D.? How long has she been a believer? Anyway, um, and I'm, I'm going to back up even more uh, for the next point, but uh, they're not in a church. They're not in a synagogue. There was no synagogue in Philippi. I think the Jews had been expelled. There was no synagogue in Philippi. Paul would go down by the riverside and uh, sing the song and then uh, meet people that were there praying Okay? Down by the riverside. Because there was no synagogue in Philippi. But she's a worshiper of God. And he listens to the preaching, she listens to the preaching down by the riverside. And then uh, says, hey, where are you staying? Can you come to my house? Would you stay with us? So listening to all the preaching down by the riverside and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the thing spoken by Paul. Well, this sounds very subjective i know doctrinal believers wouldn't like this i know doctrinal believers that would say well unless she uh, can categorize a point of doctrine from a verse of scripture she can't know with certainty that it's the will of god well wait a minute look what it says here the lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by paul now i know that gets abused And I know that Pentecostals abuse it mercilessly. And I know there's a lot of emotional, touchy-feely kind of believers that like to throw that phrase around. Oh, well, Jesus laid it on my heart, blah, blah, blah. Okay? And sometimes I believe it and sometimes I think, really? (laughs) Okay? And admittedly, I can't tell them one way or the other because I'm not inside them. It is very easy to just throw the phrase around when it's not true. But I don't want to ignore that it's the, the, the reality that the Holy Spirit wrote this and put it in the Bible. This is a true statement. Jesus really did open her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And this is a very subjective application. This is a woman listening to the teaching who comes under conviction that says, you know what, I want to support this missionary team. I want, I want them to stay in my home. I want to learn more, you know. Man, if they're staying in my home, how many more classes can I attend? <laughs> how much more teaching can I get? Can I pick his brain with Bible questions over breakfast? What, what, you know, what else? What what benefit might there be to have Paul in your house? Okay, could be lots of benefits. All right, and so uh, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. I will point out, by the way that when this happens, it happens in in the course of teaching. It happens in the course of teaching. There's something you've been praying about, something you've been considering, something that you've been wrestling with. And then while you're in class, while a verse is being spoken, while the Word of God is being taught, then all of a sudden a personal subjective conviction hits that, wow, I should be doing this. And you know for a fact God is speaking to you. So when she and her household have been baptized, and I think she was already a worshiper of God, but she was not yet baptized. That's why I say she was an Old Testament believer, had been for decades, had been for pre-33 AD. So she gets baptized in her household. They're going to cross over from being an Old Testament believer to a New Testament believer. She urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now how is Paul supposed to judge her as being faithful to the Lord? He just met her. Some kind of time is going by. Some number of days of preaching. She was listening over time. If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, Luke, and however many else. Maybe Clement. Maybe Yodia, maybe Synechea, who knows? There's a lot of people that are combined into us right there. So she prevailed upon us. So um, is this not fellowship in the gospel? It's like the money that the church was contributing. It's like hands-on service is a form of fellowship. Money is a form of fellowship. Hands-on fellow worker uh, service is a form of fellowship. Is hospitality also a form of fellowship? You bet Absolutely, it's a form of fellowship. It is, a, it is a realm of service. It is a ministry. In fact, we're illustrating it right now. and This is a, the blessings we're, we're learning as a church to see the, the value in this. So if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, and notice, you know, this is not just, I mean, unbelievers can rent out a room or unbelievers can find a roommate. We're not talking anything earthly. It's a sweet smelling savor just like we were talking about before. If you have judged me to be faithful, ministries are awarded and assigned on the basis of faithfulness. God will not use a faithless believer for a ministry pursuit. If you have judged me to be faithful, come into my house and stay. So she uh, prevailed upon us. So we have the matter of uh, giving. We have the matter of hands-on work. We have the matter of hospitality. And any one of these you could think of, or Paul could think of, it could be thought of as in, in view of your fellowship of the gospel from day one, even until now. Because the fellowship of the gospel preceded their departure from, from Philippi and the, the money that Philippi was giving. All right. There's more. But wait, there's more. How about in the matter of prayer worship? In the matter of prayer worship, day one could be thought of as the first Sabbath down by the riverside. Back up again. There's something earlier than Lydia saying, hey, come into my home. That wasn't day one either. It was day one of of her hospitality ministry, but it wasn't day one of, of Paul being in Philippi. How about the Sabbath day? in verse 13. So uh, see, in verse 11, they're leaving Troas. They arrive at Neapolis. That's the port. And then uh, like a six-mile walk up to Philippi uh, in verse 12, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we're staying in this city for some days. Now that's some days. I think some days is fewer than um, many days, right? Again, we got these clues. We got some days in verse 12, and we've got uh, many days in verse 18. So, however, we break that down, you want to argue, we can argue. Uh, I, I just think some is less than many. And so, some days in verse 12. So, they walk from the port of Neapolis to the capital of Philippi, there in, in Philippi, staying there for some days, Right? Motel 6 or Super 8 or I don't know. what. There was some kind of an inn, I'm sure. Some venue they're paying for to stay. Some days. And on the Sabbath day, I think it was less than a week, finally Saturday arrives. On the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to a riverside. <laughs> and we want to have some arguments. Man, read the journals on this. Because you got like three different options for different rivers and creeks and streams. Uh, near Philippi, that it could have been any of them. Okay, I don't think it matters, but anyway, um, went outside at the gate to a riverside, and and uh, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. See, normally when Paul comes to a new town, first place he goes is the synagogue. Philippi didn't have a synagogue, but he supposes that if there's any Old Testament believers. If there's any, uh, you know, with a Jewish background or even Gentiles with uh, an orientation of the God of Israel, any true believers, that uh, they may not be in the, in the pagan city, they may, they may go down and have a place of prayer. I wonder how common that was. I wonder how in the first few decades after Christ was resurrected, the early church, I wonder how, how much imitation of Christ there was in this, because Jesus was always doing this. He was always going up to a mountain, down by a river, walking across water, going somewhere to get away from fellow disciples even to go find a quiet place, a peaceful place for prayer. And so they supposed this. Why did they suppose this? Because that's where they were. (laughs) You know, God knew where those worshipers were. They were down by the riverside. So the idea pops into Paul's head. Hey, I bet you there's believers down by the riverside. And and so Paul gets this idea, hmm, maybe there's believers down by the riverside. Where did that idea come from? You know, you go out the other gate, maybe you could go up on a hill. There were some hills around. Philippi had a lot of hills around. In fact, they were famous. They had a lot of gold mines. So Paul didn't just think to himself, hmm, I should go up on that hill over there. I bet you can find some believers. Never thought of that. Instead, he went, hmm, we should go out that gate down by the riverside. I bet you will find some believers. It's probably a place of prayer down there. Why did that cross his mind? Okay, And just consider, of course, God's hand is in all of this. But when ideas pop into your mind, like, hmm, there's an 18-room hotel for sale in Manor. Hmm. When, when ideas pop into your mind, like, hmm, I wouldn't mind having student housing for our seminary students. Hmm. You just start thinking about stuff. And you wonder, where did that idea come from? Does God ever work that way? All right. So on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing, and I love that vocabulary on supposing. That there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Assembled for what? They had assembled for prayer. So Paul was right. He gets down by the riverside, and there's some women who had assembled. Wow. We have assembled. Well, why are you here? Is this an accident? What are you doing here? Now there's a lot of reason. Women go to rivers a lot of times. You know, they're doing laundry or they're, doing, you know, they're fetching a pail of water or whatever they're doing. But they had assembled. They, they didn't just happen to show up at the same time doing their laundry. They didn't just happen to show up at the same time fetching the cooking water or whatever else. They didn't just happen to show up. They assembled. It's like you guys here today. What are y'all doing here? (laughs) Why did you all get here? Right here, right now, today. It's not a coincidence. It's not an accident. You assembled. You assembled because this is a place of assembly. It is a designated place with designated times and designated days. They had assembled. And so Paul began speaking to the women who had assembled. And this is, by the way, one of those women. Lydia. This is our introduction to Lydia. Now, that's the matter of, and I'm out, I'm out of time, there's another matter. In the matter of uncertainty and need, it was their separate yet parallel pursuits of the will of God. I've got to leave you hanging with this. I'm going to come back in a few weeks and <laughs> pick it up here. Because there's something even before, this is day one of meeting the believers at the riverside. But day one actually preceded when they met face to face. Before they ever met face to face, they were separately praying for the same thing. They were separately praying related to their uncertainty and their need. Paul had uncertainty and need. These believers had uncertainty and need. They were both praying in their uncertainty. They both had needs. And Paul provided. I'm I'm sorry, God provided. Paul's uncertainty was met. The Philippians' uncertainty was met. Paul's need was met. The the Philippians' need was met. And it came together like chocolate and peanut butter on that fateful day when Reese's invented the peanut butter cup. And it came together. They had uncertainty and need, and they were already praying before they ever met. And yet they were fellowshipping in the gospel. In a way, with hindsight, you can look back and think. I'll say more on this as we resume and that's gonna be uh when's that gonna be Wednesday May something tenth eleventh something all right thank you father for your faithfulness thank you for this time thank you for your grace I pray we'll learn these lessons we'll learn how to fellowship financially hands on prayerfully hospitality wise where we can fellowship in a lot of different ways and father we're about to fellowship Uh, for 30 minutes here, and I pray we would do so in a multitude of fashions, and I pray that we would uh, glorify Your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.